Hello everyone and welcome. My name is Andrew. And I'm Rachel. And we are Peak to the Scene podcast. We are a true crime podcast aiming to put you, the listener, at the scene of the crime. Each week we delve into the murky world of lesser known crimes from the UK and Ireland and occasionally we venture into renowned cases from around the globe. Now, as with any true crime podcast, listener discretion is always advised and today's episode is no exception as it involves descriptions of murder, violence to both adults and children. Now, if you like what you hear, obviously you don't like hearing about violence to adults and children, but if you like what you hear from us, please do follow us on whatever social media platform you prefer. Subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform of choice. And if you have the capability, give us a rating and review as well. It really means the world to us, doesn't it, Rachel? Yeah, and um, just just as an aside, sorry guys if you can hear me sniffing today, hay fever. The pollen count is insane, so um, yeah, f- just feel for me guys. <laughs> yeah, if you like us that much that you want to support us, you can do so for less than the price of a cup of tea or coffee on Patreon, with our lowest tier starting at £1 per month. We release bonus content every month, and the links to our social medias and our Patreon can be found in the show notes, or visit patreon.com forward slash scenepod. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash S-C-E-N-E-P-O-D. And to all of our wonderful Patreon subscribers, we are loving having our chats with you and catching up on the platform. So keep keep on posting, guys. Yes, indeed. And because it's now both of us talking to them, isn't it, Rachel? Now Andrew we... uh, relinquished the power and gave me access. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Now, we do, where possible, now release that episode a week early for our patient supporters. So you don't have to run really fast, like The Flash, to move around in time. All you need to do is subscribe to us. Now, this episode, Rachel, and for our listeners out there, is being released eight days before our very first ever live episode, in which we'll also be giving away two sets of prizes of some merchandise. So it's not too late to sign up to Patreon and being with a chance of winning some prizes, but also watching us live. And that's a prize in itself, isn't it, Rachel? Yeah. I mean, it's starting to set, set in now, the fear. Uh, hopefully people turn up. The live might just be me and Andrew on a normal recording day. Yeah. It could be, yeah. T- pretending that we're talking to people, so we seem like we're popular. Should we, should we insert some, like, audience, like... Some fake, like, 1990s game show audience. Yeah, well, I could do that. Yeah, go! Yeah, yeah. So he got killed. Yay! Uh, <laughs> anyway, Rachel, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm not too bad, thank you. I'm not oh, too bad. Not sparkly today, then. Not sparkly, but you know, the day's still young. So who knows what will happen by the end of the day. We're going to record something a little bit fun after this as well that will be released before this episode, so you'll all know what it is. But uh, I'm sure that'll cheer you up. Yes, and hopefully it won't involve bananas. It doesn't, I don't know why you keep on mentioning bananas this morning, but no, I don't, there's no I don't, question I don't, on there about bananas. I don't even Make like... From a Breville toaster, though. Yes, I don't even like bananas, so I'm glad. Now, more importantly, we're talking about questions. The most important question in life is, are you ready for some true crime? I was waiting for that, and yes, I was born ready. Good. So, Rachel and everyone else out there, if it's safe for you all to do so, I'd like you to relax. Close your eyes and picture the scene. Today I'd like to take us back to the 30th of March 2017 and this week we're in Norton which is a suburb of the town of Stourbridge in the West Midlands of England. Now Stourbridge 
It's a market town with a population of just over 60,000 people and it's famous historically for its glass making and it still actually to this day holds the International Festival of Glass. Although these days it's well known for being a market town and also being a fair trade town. Now on the 30th of March 2017 we're going to Greyhound Lane in Norton to be exact and it's a little after midnight. It was dry it was obviously dark because it's a little after midnight and it's around 12 degrees Celsius, which is around 53 or 54 degrees Fahrenheit. Now it's on Greyhound Lane in a suburb of Norton that Aaron Barley was lurking. Barley, who was 24 at the time, had just gained access to the garden of the house that belonged to the Wilkinson family. The Wilkinson family consisted of Tracy and Peter Wilkinson, who were 50 or 47 respectively, their daughter Lydia, who was 24, and their 13-year-old son, Pierce, along with the family dog. Now, they were a normal family who had been lucky enough to succeed in life. Tracy was a stay-at-home mum. Peter Wilkinson owned an engineering firm, and their daughter, Lydia, attended the University of Bristol. And obviously, because their son, Pierce, was 13, he was still at school. So CCTV would show Aaron Lurkin moving around the garden and the parked cars in the property in an obvious attempt to keep himself hidden from the sight of anyone. It would show him removing his light-coloured jacket to make himself less visible, as he had all dark clothes on then, and also putting dark-coloured socks over his brightly-coloured trainers to hide them from being spotted by anyone as well. Oh, wow. How, how creeped out would you be if you could see that CCTV live? Like, a, I'm guessing it was public CCTV maybe in in the car park area, but... No, it was a family CCTV for the home. Okay, so imagine you had a prompt on your phone. You know the way that, like, ring doorbells now, and there are other doorbells available. Um, But you know how they, um, like, prompt your phone that there's movement? Yeah. Imagine watching that at the back of your house and being like, holy wow. crap. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That would, it would, yeah, it would freak you out, wouldn't it? But It would, yeah. He also had on a dark-coloured balaclava, and at 44 minutes past midnight, now we know this exact time because we saw it on the CCTV, he went into the garden shed of the Wilkinson home before emerging from the shed holding a hammer. Oh, God. And, And roughly an hour later, he attempted to break into the house via a window, but he was unsuccessful. And CCTV would then show him hiding in bushes and moving around the garden, waiting for an opportunity. Has he been scoping these guys out for a while? Like, not taking a weapon to the scene of the, scene of the crime is, is well, quite... Yeah. I'm going to have to say, like, what I always say to you, Rachel, let's wait and see, because that's, oh, okay. half, that's half the story. But, but yeah, you'd think, like, does he know these people or not? So that opportunity that he was waiting for, Rachel, it came at around 7.30am. So he's been there for, like, seven and a half hours now. Yeah, and, he like, again, he's obviously there with purpose, because... Like if you were if you were on the scout just to break in and see what you could get your hands on, it'd be during the night, wouldn't it? So you could get in and out. But he's got some sort of purpose here, so you know he's hung around at the one property. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so at half past seven, when Peter would leave the house, you know Peter, the father of the family, he would leave the house with the family dog to take the dog for a walk. So when Peter left the house, Aaron then went into the house because the door was now open and into the kitchen and armed himself with some kitchen knives. Once he had the knives, he went upstairs 
And while we don't know the order it occurred in, we know that he climbed on the bed trace he was asleep in due to his dirty footprints being left on the sheets. And then he stabbed Tracy through the bed sheets and with such force that some of the knife wounds went up to 15 centimetres deep. Oh, my God. And and her husband's just out walking the dog. Like, he's still, he's not left for the day. He's going to come back and see this, isn't he? Yeah. And now he, he definitely, yeah. Now, he stabbed Tracy 17 times in total oh before discarding the knife he used to stab her. But when? Obviously, we don't know the order. So they're assuming this was the order, but they don't know exactly. But it makes sense. He also then went into the bedroom of 13-year-old Pierce and stabbed him at least eight times. Again, with such force that it caused one of his lungs to collapse and his spinal cord was almost divided in two. Now, Yeah, I know. And this happened like six years ago in the West Midlands. Basically, a suburb of Birmingham as well. So, luckily, and I know it seems odd me saying this word, but luckily, Lydia, their daughter, was at university at the time, so she wasn't harmed. Well, I mean, luckily, I guess for the parents, knowing that at least one of their children was safe, but I can't imagine what it would be like to be the only family member that isn't harmed during such a horrific attack, or even home and able to to do something you know being far away at university that that wouldn't have sat well with her would it like no. in, in, the, in the aftermath there you go remember peter was still walking the dog at this time yeah so yes. we we know that all these like him entering into the house and and stabbing both of them we knew it would take less than 30 minutes because the cctv for the house would show peter returning home with the dog just before 8am that morning. Yeah. But Aaron was still in the house. So the attack on Peter began in the kitchen. But Peter was driven into the garden during the attack. So half of it was caught on CCTV. So he was driven into the garden during the attack. And so the footage, CCTV footage, would show Peter pleading with Aaron not to hurt him or his family because he didn't know what happened to his family. But all Aaron did was to carry on the attack and shout at Peter, die, you bastard. Oh, my God. What is, what, what's the purpose behind such a brutal attack? I know you're <sighs> going to go on to say it, but just my natural reaction right now is, what the hell? I know. So for reasons, on, um, when you find out more details, you're going to be like, whoa, like this case is like months. It's been months since we've had, a, for me, a case like this. But anyway, for reasons unknown to anyone to this day, after he had stabbed Peter six times, he suddenly stopped. And then he drove off with the family Land Rover Discovery that was parked in the driveway. Now, Peter managed to get to his phone and call the emergency services. And when they arrived, they at first found Peter. He was alive but critically ill. And in the house, they then found Tracy in bed and dead. Pierce, the 13-year-old son, was still alive, but only just... And when they came upon him, they tried their best to save his life on the spot there and then. But sadly, he succumbed to his injuries and he died in his home, in his bedroom. Oh my goodness, this is heartbreaking. Yeah, Peter was rushed to the hospital in a very serious condition and had to undergo emergency (laughs) surgery to try and save his life. The surgery was to deal with two stab wounds to the abdomen and two in his bowel. He was in hospital for a while. And the first week in critical care, 
but he slowly managed to recover. Now, it did take nine months before he could even return to work part-time. That shows you how serious his injuries were. So what about Aaron, Rachel? What happened to him after he drove off? And why did he do it? As you asked me earlier, if he even had a reason at all. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to throw some ideas out there. Like, was he an ex of the daughter um, who knew the family? Or my other thought is that it's like a drug-fueled kind of attack that he's pictured this family being similar to his own, maybe. And, you know, he's attacked them in in a in a haze like in a not in his own frame of mind kind of thing and and kind of gone to town on them because it the attack's very personal isn't it all all the stabbing and like standing over the bodies and you know the it's brutal so so yeah there's there's obviously he either knows them or he thinks he knows them yeah that's that's some reasonable reasonable guesses there rachel but let's look at what happened immediately after he he drove away, and then we'll look into into that. So after he got away, he was driving at speed and erratically. So he was chased by the police due to his driving. And had, as he was being chased, he crashed and was arrested after a foot pursuit. When the car was examined, the knife he'd used to attack Peter was found in a footwell of the car. So that's what happened to him immediately afterwards. We now know he's been arrested. Yeah, yeah, arrested, but not for the crime of like, yes. killing and, and attempted murder, yeah. So let's look at who Aaron was, his connection to the Wilkinson family and potentially why he did it. So Aaron, he had a very troubled upbringing, Rachel. To start with, he was a child of incest, with his father being the uncle of his mother. When he was four years old, his father died of cancer, and two years later... His mum died of a heart attack, so he was orphaned at the age of six. His childhood was not stable at all. He was in and out of different foster care homes, as well as other relatives of his. He never had a long-term home. I probably, like, you're thinking, he's been quite sympathetic towards him yet. I'm just telling you the facts. I'm not saying he's got an excuse to do anything. So when he was 11, he was kicked out of a children's home for violent attacks on other kids, as well as stealing a staff member's car. One of his former friends at the time, who stayed anonymous, would say say this about him. Aaron went to Uplands. Uplands, by the way, was the name of the children's home. Aaron went to Uplands when he was about 11, and he was there for at least six months. He and another lad once broke into the office and stole keys for a car belonging to the children's home and went off in it. I think he was moved from Uplands because his behaviour was so bad. And this is Aaron at 11 years old. Yeah, but yeah. don't they say um, children of incest aren't... Like, that when they develop and their brains um, are developing, like, there's a very different pattern and, and, and like, how they approach, like, logical thinking and, and feelings and all of that. And that's why, like, you shouldn't, obviously sleep with your brother or sister guys and gals or your parents and have children don't procreate um but but yeah that's i'm not condoning his behavior but at 11 he, he probably wouldn't function um the way that an an average 11 year old would that's interesting Rachel. I, I didn't know that um i didn't know that about children of incest and 
It's also interesting you say that because in a moment I'll I'll give you another quote which kind of confirms what you've just said. But yeah, I mean, but... like fetal development as well can like you know their hands and their toes and you know like it just it can lead to like physical um th- like um problems, but as but as well, yeah, absolutely, um, like development of of internal organs such as the brain and things like that too. That's really interesting. I'm gonna to have to look more into this, but and like and and that's the thing. Like people just think the incest is a crime, obviously, because you know it's it's either uh, someone is taking advantage of someone, right? An older sibling taking advantage of a younger sibling, regardless of age, or uh, you know, a parent and a child, or however that looks, it's 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 thought of as wrong, but it it's not just illegal because it's it's not right in the eyes of God or, you know, human society. But there are, there are reasons why as well. Um, and, and it is because, you know, um, people with the same or similar DNA profiles should not procreate. But apparently cousins can. I didn't know that until recently. Don't okay. ask me why I know. I'm not going to tell you. And it's nothing to do with me, guys. But cousins can get happily married and live happily ever after. Yeah, I didn't know that. As well as that friend, a former teacher of Aaron's, Eileen Adams, would say that he was a typical Jekyll and Hyde character, in a sense that he could be caring and sensitive, but also threatening. And another one of his friends from the time, who again wanted to say anonymous, would say this about him as a child. And this actually touches on what you just said, Rachel, regarding the children of incest. Okay. And they said this, we never saw him crying. He didn't like being touched. It's as though he didn't feel anything. He was the type of kid who, if he saw something upsetting happening to someone, he wouldn't get upset or cry. He would just stand and watch. It was like he was in his body, but detached from it. So that actually, to me, that sounds like that matches exactly what you just said. Yeah, it's like, um, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I read stories and reports like when people have like split personality, don't they? in the moment that they are who they say they are which could be a different personality at that moment you know they they aren't there's no no part of them that is like Andrew or Rachel it is like you know their alter ego isn't it and and that they are essentially like completely separate from their um human form whatever you want to call it so uh, no it makes makes sense exactly yeah and as he grew older the trouble wouldn't stop, and one notable incident was that he went missing when he was 13, causing the local police to start a missing campaign to try to find him. That was like a big media campaign with his photo in all the local news and whatnot. And unfortunately, Rachel, by the time he was 23, he hadn't changed his life at all. He did have a partner at one stage, and a child by that partner, but he had amassed 21 different convictions including one for assault on his then partner, the mother of his child. Now, that assault was the most serious of the 21 convictions, because even though the maximum term that could be given was five years, he pled guilty for that crime, which normally means a a third off being guilty at the um, earliest possible opportunity. And he still got 44 months, which is just over three and a half years. So it shows you how serious that assault was. So by early 2016, it was March 2016, actually, so almost just over a year to the date when he attacked the Wilkinson family. So by early 2016, 
when he was 23, he was living homeless. And it was while he was homeless, trying to sleep in a cardboard box outside of Tesco's, that an event happened that would be the start of the tragic end of both Tracy and her son Pierce's life, and also the life of Peter and Lydia, that would be changed forever. It was as he was trying to sleep outside of Tesco's that he was spotted by someone who took pity on him and just wanted to help him. And that someone, Rachel, was Tracy Wilkinson. Oh, no. So her kindness in trying to help somebody homeless is ultimately what got her killed. Yes. Wow. Now, Tracy was a good woman, Rachel. Yeah. She, she was a person who at every opportunity just wanted to help people. And as she saw this young man without any hope in his life, she knew it was her duty to help him. So she went over to him outside Tesco's and she spoke to him and she took him home. And on that day, she actually gave him the meal that she'd prepared for Peter so that he could have a hot meal. She washed his clothes and she let him shower. And from that point on, she actually did her best to make sure he had a hot meal every single day. Aaron would insist to Tracy that all he needed in life was a chance. So that's what he got. He became a regular visitor at the Wilkinson home, doing odd jobs in return for food and cash. They helped him get back on his feet. They got him to attend an alcohol and drug rehab facility. And though at that facility, volunteers would report that he was obsessed with weapons, in particular knives. He would tell staff and other attendees at that rehab that he had two aims in life to kill a policeman and to kill a prison officer. Wow. These remarks, however, were dismissed by all as simple bragging caused by drug abuse. The company that Peter Wilkinson owned, Asset International, actually Peter got the company to create a charitable foundation just so they could help Aaron. They helped him get a flat and they got him a job at Newport Docks in Peter Wilkinson's company. And everything seemed to be going really well for Aaron. He was getting a second chance, and it seems he was correct. He told Tracy when they first met that all he needed was a chance, and this is what he had now. Now, unfortunately, things then started turning bad for Aaron. Work absence became more frequent. He was evicted from his flat, and several managers at his workplace reported him for aggressive behaviour towards them. And it was sad for Peter, but he had to he had to fire him. He had to let him go. That didn't mean that the Wilkinson family pushed him to one side. They always stuck by him, Rachel, and he seemed to be really thankful of this. Yeah, and Peter Wilkinson was a businessman. He obviously wanted to protect his work colleagues and, you know, how they felt and and had to do something about that level of disrespect. But I completely understand that personally, you know, they would have taken a different approach than he would have taken professionally. Yeah, exactly. And Aaron even spent the Christmas before the attacks with them at the Wilkinson home. And he even gave Tracy a Christmas card that was addressed to them. And he addressed it to the mother that I never had. When he was evicted from his flat, they let him live with them until he got another. In October 2016, Aaron was arrested and charged with offences of theft and assaulting a police officer. And he was bailed by the police. He went straight to the Wilkinson's house where he was found asleep on a drive. And once again, they helped him. And even though Peter had to let him go 
from his own company, he, st- he stepped in again and he managed to get me a job as a furniture polisher in February of 2017, just over a month before the attack. But it wouldn't be long, though, before he was fired from that job after telling his employers that he was taking drugs and he couldn't be bothered to do any work. In February as well, so the same February, he would post on Facebook that he wanted to kill his family and he asked his followers on Facebook how many people they thought he could kill before the police caught him. Oh, my goodness. His behaviour came more and more erratic. And Did anyone week... report that? No, I don't think so. Wild, isn't it? I mean, if yeah. you saw a friend of yours a co- or a colleague, associate, someone you knew on social media saying that, what would your first inclination be? I don't know. I honestly don't know. Okay, I, I, I would mean, sorry. Yeah, no, I don't know, actually, because, like, yeah, you think, oh, I want to help, but would you? Depends on him. So if he was the type of person who always said it, we've had this discussion in the past. Yeah, yeah, you'd think the decent thing to do would be to report it, but the easiest thing to do would be to ignore it, wouldn't it? Mm. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I see what I'm you're not, saying. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I could, like, you know. I, yeah, I concerned citizen over here, but. I just wouldn't want to be at the receiving end, especially if I knew him. Like, who who was going to be top of his hit list, apart from, I think you said police before, didn't you? Yeah. Police officer and someone else. But, uh, yeah, yeah, interesting. It is interesting. And his behaviour became more and more erratic. And a week before the killings, a friend of Tracy's would recount that he had begun, begun threatening to kill Tracy. So that same week... Oh, sorry, it, it's worth noting that in February of 2017 when he lost his second job, that's when he cut off all communication with the Wilkinson family. He himself chose, they wanted to carry on helping him, and he himself chose not to speak to them. But the same, so that same week that he threatened Tracy that he was going to kill her, that was when the, the week that the Wilkinson family decided to stop paying for his mobile phone. So even though he cut off talking to them, they were still paying the bill of his mobile phone and they'd been paying it for the past year since the very first day that they met. Well, not the very first day, but they got him a mobile phone. And they wow. The bill. Uh, because they just... So, dis- sorry. It's such a parent thing to do, isn't it? Like Yeah. Uh, yeah, and they, they decided at this point that they needed to distance themselves from him, given that he wouldn't communicate or interact with them. So this takes us up to the murder. And now we know that he knew the family and we know he did it. So the only question left, Rachel, is the question of why. Well, I like I think I now know that. I think he's coupled with the drugs binge that he's been on. He's just taken it out on them. He thinks he's been abandoned by them. He's I I, th- I feel like he, he's built up all this anger towards them. Like they've done they've wrong done him wrong. It's interesting you say that when he was arrested, he was, he refused to allow the police to do a toxicology test on him. So it was never known if he was under the influence at the time of the killings. He would openly admit he killed the pair, saying that he only intended to kill Peter, but he killed Tracy and Pierce when they disturbed him downstairs. But it, it's worth noting that that isn't what the evidence indicated because he stood on Tracy's bed while she was still under the covers, and he stabbed her, so he didn't get disturbed. Because he admitted guilty straight away at the interviews, they needed to see if he had any type of defence for the crimes due to mental illness, so they had him assessed by more than one expert, both the defence and the prosecution, but all the experts came back and said that Aaron had no mental illnesses that would cause him to kill 
So when they all came back saying that, he pled guilty to the two murders and the attack. Now, his medical history shows that he was diagnosed with ADHD and prescribed medication when he was only about eight or nine years old. And over times in his young life, he had, in, he had been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, and latterly, personality disorder. He had been prescribed over the years various forms of antipsychotic, mood stabilizing, and antidepressant medication. During the sentencing hearing, the Wilkinson family submitted victim impact reports. Peter's impact statement said he had uncontrollable emotion due to, and these are his words here, the vile, callous, barbaric, and cowardly acts that Aaron did. He would also say this, We cared for Aaron, welcomed him, and we showered him with love and respect, which he had never received anywhere else. The repayment was for him to destroy my family for no reason whatsoever. Lydia, try not to t- try not to have tears here, Rachel. Uh, Lydia? It is so hard, because, yeah. like, just to comprehend, like, how much they've done for someone it's it's bad enough when that person throws it back in your face verbally you know or or still carries on with their behavior despite all of the help that you've offered how frustrating is that as a human being but to have been attacked physically have your home broken into and your wife and child dead as a result is just i can't comprehend that yeah exactly and lady do you remember the daughter who was away at university yeah. She, she would say this in the impact statement, and there's a little bit, but I think it's worth reading. It's not the full statement, but she says, I remember typing into Google Stourbridge stabbings, and the first link showed a photo of my house with police tape around it. I remember ringing my boyfriend, saying, it's me, it's us, they've been stabbed. West Midlands Police then got to me and asked what I knew. And I just said that they had all been stabbed. They said, we are very sorry to tell you that your mum and brother have passed away. And your dad is in theatre. And we don't know whether he will survive or not. We have had no news. So Lydia was actually due to return home from university the day after the attacks. And she had promised her brother that she had met him at the school gates. And that she was looking forward to going dress shopping with her mum. She would then say... I remember coming back in the car from Bristol. I was planning a triple funeral and how I was going to go about that on my own. They took me to critical care and and that was the first time I saw my dad with countless machines hooked up to him, a lot of doctors around his bed. I remember thinking at that point in time that I was going to lose him as well because nobody could survive that state. I thought he was going to pass away that night. I knew there was nothing I could do to help my mum and Pierce as they had tragically passed away. So my sole focus at that moment in time was my dad because he was the only thing I had left in my life. Now, because of her father's condition, I've actually got tears here, Rachel. I'm I'm getting so sensitive in my old age. It is so emotive, though, and I know that every case we deal with has connected parties and victim impact statements but some hit harder than others they do indeed they do indeed you right now because of her father's condition she was the one who had to identify a mum and her brother's bodies can you imagine that oh Rachel? my god how old was she 19 20 20 um four not that it makes a difference it's you know yeah. a child should never have to do that um 
but seriously like yeah. her own brother and mother like that's heartbreaking now she wanted to face Aaron in court so she actually her dad submitted um, his victim impact statement written which is what a lot of people do but she actually read hers out in front of him to his face in court and she said a lot and I'm just going to give you this one extra line here my parents helped you you repaid them with destruction and heartache you obliterated my life you've murdered half my family very nearly all of it and for this I will never forgive you so I think that's very brave to be able to stand up there and and do that. Now, the judge took a long time to sum up and sentence Aaron, stating that she was able to give him a whole life sentence due to the nature of his crimes. And she said that she couldn't accept he only intended to kill Peter because the evidence didn't suggest that. And he took advantage of their kindness, only knowing the house so he could kill them because of their immense kindness that they showed him the house. She said that in the absence of any mental health conditions, she had to take into account the fact that he had been guilty at the very first opportunity and some aspects of his past. So she sentenced him to life with a minimum term of 30 years in prison. Now, Rachel, as it's becoming normal for me to say these days, this isn't the end of it, however. There was an appeal, but for this time, it wasn't an appeal by Aaron. It was an appeal by the prosecution because they argued that the sentence was too lenient, that it should be higher. This shows you how barbaric it was. 30 years, they're saying it's too lenient. So the appeal judges, as is expected, they went into minute detail and they made several points, with the main one being that the original judge did make a slight mistake counting Aaron's youth as a mitigating factor. They quoted law stating that over 21, in some cases it can be counted, but most cases it can't. So they increased his sentence from a minimum term of 30 years to a minimum term of 35 years. And that is how it ended. So what do you think of this one, Rach? And that is a minimum term, isn't it? Because yes. you, you, you know, he could be in there a lot longer and especially like to me, and I'm guessing he's had some sort of psychological assessment, you know, he's not going to be able to mask like how he feels towards other human beings. Well, and... Don't don't forget that his two ambitions in life was to kill a police officer and a prison officer. Yeah, absolutely. So it will be interesting to see in time if he actually ever got, got out because, you know, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think him more so than, than many won't, won't be able to like hide how he really feels and, you know, that's true. And you remember that he, he from, from, from what I can gather, he has never still been diagnosed with anything, any type of mental health problem that he still just saying. Just that's what he did. Now, I haven't actually given a reason why he did this, Rachel, have I? I forgot that. I mean, I guessed it was, you know, hatred for being sacked and how he felt abandoned. He wasn't abandoned, just to caveat. I understand what the Wilkinsons did for him, but... Yeah, I guess he felt pain, an unnecessary like level of, of hurt from them for for what they did. Well, yeah, which he, looked nice. Yeah, he never actually said why, but and he never showed any remorse either, by the way. But um it's been like an educated guess, it's been what for one of two reasons. The first reason being 
that they cancelled his mobile phone contract. So he didn't have his mobile phone contract. And the second reason being that apparently it they had spotted it was quite common throughout his life for him to blame others for the things that was going wrong in his life that he had caused. So they believe that maybe because he had been fired and he'd lost his place to live again, even though he stopped talking to them, he blamed them for that, even though it was him that did that. Yeah, doesn't, you know, all of these things, they're like red flags to you on me, but to him it's like, oh, it's not. It's never my fault, you know. Yes, such a sad story, this one. I'm surprised it's not more well-known. Or maybe, have yeah. you heard of this one, Rachel? No, I haven't heard of this one. And and it's, it's quite a sensational case, really, that, you know, a homeless guy breaks in, attacks and kills a, a mum and, and son and leaves the dad for dead, like, and then gets, you know, partakes in a police chase, really. That's that's quite a, a big kind of headline case, isn't it? But I'm surprised I haven't, mm. haven't heard of it before. It made the BBC in a, in a few newspapers. And also interesting that it's not often you see, in England anyway, or in the UK, I know you see it in American places, an appeal being made by the prosecution for extending the sentence. Um, it's I thought that was interesting. So so shall I wrap this one up, Rachel? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's much more you can say. It's just heartbreaking, but yeah. Exactly. So this has been Season 3, Episode 10, called Biting the Hand That Feeds. And if it's safe for you to do so, I like you to relax. Close your eyes and picture the scene. We've all seen those social media posts where people film themselves trying to help the homeless just for likes and follows. But aside from that, there are people out there who really want to help, who try their best to help at every point in their life, like Tracy Wilkinson. What would you do in this situation? Would you help and continue to help? Or would you just walk straight by? So thank you everyone for listening to this. We hope that it's been informative. I can't say enjoyable, but it's been informative. And we'll see you next week, but also... Possibly we'll see you for our live show as well. Actually see you. Yes. Okay, grand everyone. I'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Bye.